J.R. Manga presents Midnight City, narrated by DB82. Chapter 4, From Dusk Till Dawn, Part 1 As Jackie ventured off, Charlie took the opportunity to survey the layout of the underground club, a huge dance floor with individual squares that flashed a different color, a sprawling bar to the left with three male bartenders, all in open white shirts with rolled up sleeves, wearing black aprons. Further down to the right was a stack of massive Marshall speakers. Charlie could see the cables leading above crossing into the metal lighting fixtures. Near the speakers was a long corridor. Either side held an enclosed room with only a see-through pink curtain for privacy. Inhibitions were truly lost, as intimate acts were being performed on the dance floor, in the rooms, bathrooms, and almost every dark corner of the dim setting. The place was one step away from being one big orgy. If people weren't all over each other, they were drinking, and if they weren't drinking, they were shooting up. If they weren't shooting up, they were snorting up. Fucking animals. The music changed, mixing rock with a form of techno and dubstep, increasing people's need to either fuck or dance. Charlie had seen all that he needed to see, but he spotted two metallic doors with a small red light where the handle should be. One door was near the bar and the other was on the opposite side near the bathrooms. He scowled at both as he turned his head. He saw Flo twerking on the dance floor, stood in front of the guy that poured alcohol down her throat in the limo. He pretended to smack her ass with his hands sweeping back and forth above her back. Jackie was returning to their spot, a seating area that was a little more secluded than the rest of the club, as the ravers had no desire to be seated. A white corner sofa that was close to the bunker entrance, but from that position, most of the club was a clear line of sight except for the corridor of passion, of course. Charlie could see no cameras, nothing that would suggest the area was under any form of surveillance. He thought as much, but wanted to be sure. Externals had a tendency of messing up the electronics in the area, which made it convenient in knowing when they were present. Jackie placed their drinks down on the circular glass table. This time she got them both a beer, but still held hers. She lifted it to her mouth, the tip of it just touching her lips but she felt his hand stopping her. She looked at him, frowning. Listen, Jackie, we don't have enough time for me to explain, but something is coming, I can feel it, and I need you to stay here. No matter what you see, no matter what happens, don't run to the bathroom, don't hide behind the bar, just stay perfectly still, because if you move, I cannot protect you. Intoxicated but still alert, Jackie continued her frowning, but this time she drew back, looking at Charlie with slitted eyes. Max, it was hard enough getting you to drink, 
but going straight for the coke, I must say I'm shocked. Jackie giggled and gave a brief hiccup, followed by a small burp. Charlie shook his head, but turned to face the club. What's going on? A thought that entered his mind as the thumping music faded away. But then he remembered something, something Rosalia stated in their conversation. How to achieve the goal of a Sabathian ritual was to find individuals willing to let go of their inhibitions, surrendering their willpower. But there was another condition that must be met for the ritual to work, and that's plenty of blood. The lights cut out, leaving everyone hidden in darkness. They all heard something mechanical from above, like a machine humming downwards. All were cheering, thinking the theatrics was part of the act. Damn, I can't see a thing! <laughs> yelled Jackie with the crowd. Remember what I said, whispered Charlie, making her regard him, his visage just barely visible in the blackness. People bellowed in a wave of excitement, and the sound of a sprinkler system was heard, spurting its substance out to everyone. The cheers were in full swing. Well, until someone in the distance started screaming. It's blood! Cried a woman in the falling of the shadows, which were quickly mirrored by the deafening shrieks of everyone else. What's happening? Asked Jackie, her eyes opening wide, motioning her head all over like a cat seeing a moving object. Their section, the bar, and the bathroom area were free from the sprinkler system. The colored lights from the floor switched back on, but were now carpeted in thick, gooey blood, which illuminated the people in an aspect of sinister red. Jackie was frozen and utterly bewildered as to what was happening. The screams didn't come from everyone, as some were too comatose to react. But the ones that did react ran past the bar, desperate to find an exit, and ran right by Charlie and Jackie to the chunky door, banging it to a pattern echo. Let us out! Please let us out! Words that were repeated by everyone pounding the steel exit. Flow! The thought of her friend's safety made Jackie rise from her seat, but Charlie spread out his arm and stick to obstruct her movement. What are you doing, Max? I have to find Flo. They're here, and Flo's already gone. What the hell are you talking about? Move! All, including Jackie, had stopped talking. The shouts, the screams, the pounding, all ceased as abruptly as the music. The static sounds coming from the heavy speakers grew louder before blowing out. Every light above them smashed to smithereens, with the humming white noise flying to every electrical outlet. Everyone could hear either a fuse short-circuiting or explode. Then the moans were heard, a painful, agonizing moan of something being torn apart. Jackie remained still at that point. They all did, as they looked out to a dance floor of people drenched in blood, undergoing a change so overwhelming their minds could not process what was actually happening. This kind of horror was something a child was aware of, but later rationalized out of practicality and people thinking they were mad if the subject ever arose again. But that hereditary fear has been locked into us for a reason, a reason no professor, scholar, or scientist would dare admit. The demons were the first creatures to inhabit the Earth, long before any other species. And when humans were birthed into existence, we were hunted and eaten. Our only, our first, predators. And though no one knew this, everyone not undergoing a transformation felt it. That side of the brain unlocking, their survival instincts brought forth from our time in the great wilderness, being stalked by smart and ferocious beings of a demonic making. But now that instinct would do them no good, as this was a trap. The club was the bait, 
and they were the food. Jackie's eyes were on flow as her womanly shape was becoming something monstrous and fiendish, growing taller, neck extending, hands shaping into taloned claws, her breasts transforming into two grotesque faces with human features, their skin-piercing teeth and long tongues holding a reach that far exceeded Flo's original height. The thing produced a high-frequency screech, cracking or shattering almost everything within a certain radius, including the two beer bottles at Jackie's table. All except Charlie covered their ears. Jackie regarded the people at the door, some banging more furiously, and some were hunched up, chilled in their statuesque poses. Jackie couldn't believe her eyes. She was sure she drank too much, but she knew this was real, although she had to look at Charlie to confirm this madness. But his actions were equally as shocking as Flo's transformation. She analyzed him from his leg, and her head slowly rose. Her mouth was open, and she backed away. In an urgent and somewhat aggressive manner, he was stomping his foot, breaking the cast, but causing a small dent on the floor. He held his stick in front of him with both hands, then used his left hand to click and turn, dropping the stick, leaving a flat but long item in his hands. He opened it, and she could see the minor slit of shimmering metal before he closed the item again. The long object still in hand, he put his arm through the sleeve of his black t-shirt, copying the same action with his other sleeve. She moved away even further upon seeing the dragon tattoo slither around his body as though it were alive. He looked back at her. Don't be afraid. I said I will protect you, and I don't break my promises. Jackie was stunned with streams of tears in her eyes, terrified of everything that was happening. But for some strange reason, she believed him. He held out his hand, and she just glared at it for a moment, confused as to what he wanted. But a sparking memory of his incoherent behavior, the words he used since the limo ride, what he said before this whole nightmare began, it all made sense to her in that singular moment of him holding out his fair hand. She took it, and he ran his thumb over her fingers, telling her to close her eyes because she had seen enough. She gave a defiant look, ready to say no. Please, Jackie, for me. His soft, pleading expression relaxed her into a complying nod. Jackie's eyes were firmly shut, and she heard him shout, Everyone, get behind me! Pile up in the seating area over there! But four out of the fifteen blood-drenched people didn't listen and moved in the direction of the bar, clearly thinking it would hide them. But a hidden demon was stalking the group from above, and what could only be described as a trunk appendage with spikes flew down and swept them up, impaling them all. It lifted all four of them into the shadows with the downpour of their blood. The gruesome death made everyone gasp and scream louder. See that? I will say this for the last time! Nobody move from here! If you see one coming closer, please remain still, understand? Shouted Charlie, who only turned his head slightly to face the traumatized crowd. He could see a few nods of agreement underneath their shaking heads, one nod coming from Jackie, even with her eyes closed. He could hear the snarls, the panting of breath, and the air rippling growls from the externals. Every one of them ready to kill, ready to eat. Most stood in the center of the club preparing to attack. Charlie walked out of his section. Eric, do you read me? Asked Charlie. Loud and clear, Agent Six. Is the squad here yet? Charlie was now walking towards the center. Yes, recon team is engaging with the enemy. They will be with you shortly. The externals backed away from Charlie, sensing something not quite right about him, 
Ah, don't let little old me scare you. I thought we'd have some fun before my team gets here. Due to the dismal lighting, as well as their abilities, it would be impossible to count how many externals surrounded the agent. Some were hanging right above his head, and some were in the far corners waiting to pounce given the opportunity, not counting the ten that were directly in front of him with flow at their center. It would be a regular human that couldn't count the demonic animals that were watching him. But Charlie was no regular human, and he knew exactly how many immigrated to this dimension. Ripper, let's go! The words spoken before the slaughter began as Charlie drew his flat sword from its scabbard and threw it like a frisbee, slicing through five demonic necks, one of them being Flo's. Charlie caught the hilt of his sword as it flew back into his hand, crouching as a horned external charged at him. Flo's eyes rolled back, with her deformed head separating from her neck. Her blood shot up from her severed jugular. A jetting wave of crimson spraying high in a synchronized dismemberment. The rhino demon was fast to act, stampeding towards Charlie as he dashed four paces backwards and backflipped onto the bar's countertop. The spiked trunk came down and he made a circular slice, butchering the deadly limb. A great howl was heard as blood spat out everywhere. Charlie flipped over the gray-skinned rhino and landed behind it. As it crashed into everything, destroying the bottles, the shelves, the counter, and the entire wall, it made a gigantic hole leading out into an underground platform. Charlie swept between attacks, flipping and dodging, throwing his blade at a blue-shelled monstrosity that housed a human face within its chest. The blade stabbed the human head dead center, making the powerful external cry out in agony. Charlie's swift and fluid actions were so quick that the demons could not see him move. He got up close and personal to the blue-shelled disgrace, grabbing his blade, slicing horizontally, separating the creature in two halves. Charlie executed a supernatural technique with such revolutionary speed, he cut the same monster in dicing triangles. Its remains fell, making a pile on the ground from where it once stood. The other creatures instantly stopped their attacks as Charlie was bathed in blood, standing center stage, smiling, laughing his left eye now black as the darkness that surrounded them, with only a green reptilian slit in his iris. All became still as a demon in the shadows was heard squealing above. Then, a large external with slimy lubricant skin smashed to the surface beside Charlie, with blood leaking from its boiled warts. The creature had fresh bite marks with part of its slimy muscle missing. Charlie grinned and nearly every external leapt into the darkness above, leaving him with the demon general that was now glaring through the large hole it made earlier. They clearly communicate with one another, coordinating their attacks. Clever fucks. The rhino general held the original shape of the wild animal, only making its curving horn a little longer than the African beast. Its body had the frame of an extremely brawny man, yet it would dwarf even a person of that stature as it stood with the height of eight foot. Fifty human-shaped eyes with veins lined in each pupil covered its whole top head. They each looked in different directions, moving around rapidly, but the eyes stopped and focused on the people whimpering in the corner. They could see the horned devil looking directly at them. But the most disturbing aspect of this seemingly impregnable creature was how its mouth and cracked teeth were in its stomach. Its drooling tongue made an exit, dripping a string of red saliva as though excited for its new meal. The general lost all interest in Charlie, 
its stomach mouth bore wide with a curving grin of sinful delight. It scraped its hoofing bullfoot, readying itself to charge directly at them. Then it made its run. A depraved laughter roared from the mouth. The people's cries, their panic, their chaotic dread wailed loudly as this animal of evil was gunning toward them. Their hollering was identical to those heard on a new death-defying roller coaster, but a glimmering flash cut right through its legs, causing the beast to fall just a few feet away from the survivors. A dreadful whining came from the demonic animal, and Charlie grabbed the dicing blade from midair and walked over to the rolling entity. Ripper! Have you fill of this one? He's a general! Silence muted all, and a rain of blood, guts, and body parts fell to the wet floor of red with a nasty splatter of mutilation. An almighty crash landed next to Charlie, leaving humongous footprints that have no right to be called human. <laughs> the invisible thing laughed in response, but laughed like it agreed with his statement. As his companion was having its fill, Charlie walked around to the general's head. Thanks for the warm-up, you rhino-looking fuck. You really loosened up my muscles there. As the well-built demon was being gnawed on, it spoke. We've heard of your kind, Spectras. Hissed the mouth, with its own blood pouring from it. The general's chest was heaving with a whistled noise coming from its two gills, both replacing its missing ears on its outlandish head. You use our power to defeat us. Clever. We know it doesn't last forever. You eventually become one of us or die. Charlie's left eye was a normal blue, but he crouched down, looking at one particular yellow-ringed red eye in the center of the demon's head. Charlie's left pupil transformed, turning reptilian again, with an inky black replacing the white. But this time, an oiled tear fell from the same duct, staining his cheek in a road-line streak. Look into my eye, you filth! Do I really look like I'll become one of you? Every scarlet eye on the demon's head was now locked on Charlie. Another exchange was made. This exchange needed no more words. The demon did not speak further, because in that moment, it knew exactly who its own natural predator was. Doors were heard beeping, showing a green light. The one nearer to the bathroom opened, and a team of people came rushing in. Most were medical staff, which was normal procedure, while some were field agents that worked alongside the Spectres and Recon team. They mostly cleaned up the mess afterwards and created instant cover stories, or they provided an aftercare service for the victims, making sure they got medical attention, a change of clothes, placing them in safe houses, etc. Tonight, all of it applied in abundance. As the terrified group was being escorted out by the medical team, which included the limping influencer, Jackie ran over to Charlie, hugging him. I want to come with you. I feel safer with you. She pressed into his chest, his right hand gripping his flat sword, whilst his other stroked her hair. Where I'm going, it's not safe, he said. These guys will look after you, I promise. His voice was soothing to her ears. She raised her head to look into his eyes, but focused her gaze on his malign left eye. The others didn't hear that thing talk, but I did. You used their power to save us, don't you? Charlie bowed with a small nod. I don't know who or what you are. I don't understand any of this, but there's one thing I'm sure of. 
You have a strong and kind heart, no fear at all. You could have gone about this a thousand different ways, but you chose to put yourself at risk to maximize our survival. Please tell me your real name. James. Charlie James. You really do sound like a secret agent. She smiled at him, touching his face, wiping away a line of blood, not caring one bit that it came from a demon. Be safe, Charlie James. I will never forget you as long as I live. She kissed his red, stained lips and looked to Flo's decapitated head on the dance floor as it was now perfectly human and perfectly peaceful with her eyes shut and only one dot of red on her soft cheek. I'm, she sniffled, sorry. Be at peace. I love you, she murmured mournfully. Jackie sobbed with her head hung low as she followed the group of survivors that were leaving through the other door. Charlie blew her a kiss, thinking of the scene with Vincent and Mia in Pulp Fiction. He turned to the hole the general kindly made and could see the underground railway clearly. Wait! screamed Eric through his earpiece. What the hell, Eric? You made me fucking jump! I apologize, Agent Six, but the section you are in is used to trap externals and take them somewhere. We only had a small window. That's why the team had to be in and out quickly. You now have three minutes to spare. Huh? What the hell? What do I do? You have three options, Agent Six. Stand on the platform and wait for a train that may never come. Go through the tunnels that are not on my schematics. Or wait there and see what happens. I can see that it leads further down into a massive facility, but the tunnels could lead anywhere. Damn! Fuck it. Guess I'll wait and see what happens. And like the mechanical wheezing from the earlier sprinkler system, the same noise was reverberating from all corners of Club Massacre. Shit, something is happening. Agent Six, the further down you go, the more compromised our communications will be. There was a click in Charlie's ears. Is Eric switching channels? Listen, Agent Six, as time is not on our side, I believe my father is involved in these kidnappings in order to test externals. There is a reason as to why but I will tell you all about that another day. I have no right to ask this, but if he's down there, please kill him. The director wants to bring him in for questioning, but for what he's done to my family, to my mother and everyone else, he doesn't deserve to live. Someone will break him out and continue his work. Here and now, it is imperative that we destroy the facility. Your earpiece has a program installed. Place it on a master terminal, wherever that is, and it will upload a virus that should overheat the reactors. Make sure to find an exit before you do. You will only have 30 minutes before the place blows. Understood, Eric. And right then, the whole club shook, jolting like the elevator that brought him here. The walls were splitting apart, cracking, tearing the plaster. Smooth and tough metal were rising from the bottom of each wall, replacing them. Charlie looked to the hole, and that was also being covered. He looked up, and the machine sound was echoing up there too. Though it was too dark to see, he assumed the same coverage was happening up there as well. Charlie sat, crossing his legs, blade on his lap, taking the time to build his Kai again, as it was inevitable another fight would break out. He'd have to kill every damn external down there. Heaven knows how many were trapped. As he breathed the bloodied air and closed his eyes, he was sure that Latoya was either dead or a demon. There was no room for doubt, no room for in-betweens. He had to hit himself with a reality check to better prepare his mind. 
Seated in his yoga pose with blood dripping in puddles and body parts as company, he felt the hard shift of the whole club, making Flo's head and many others roll away. He felt the gravity of it, the sensation that he was going down fast. He had to admit that trapping demons this way was ingenious. How many varieties of externals had Eric's father studied? Charlie could only guess the reason as to why Eric's father would partake in such genocidal ideals. Working with the wilds was the only chink in the ideals of protecting mankind by studying these beings. This man has a different motive, Charlie thought. Does he want the power to fight as specters do, but without the consequence? Is he creating a new weapon to kill the externals? Either way, his motives are lost in the act of causing harm to others. The whole floor stopped, and the metal walls lifted slowly, leaving the original plaster. Charlie looked through the hole and saw the reflective surface of plastic, like he was inside a large container. This man is truly lost. The sprinkler system shot out a clear liquid this time, diluting the red around him. He remained seated, but was fascinated by the intricate techniques in trapping these monsters. How much trial and error for all of this to run so smoothly. The water did something quite strange to the dismembered organs. All were sizzling and boiling as if the water were made of an acidic property. Holy water to stun the externals, very clever. What other tricks do you have? Then something flew down from above, slicing Flo's head in half. Charlie glimpsed up and could see another slot shooting down at him. He threw his sword into his left hand and used his right hand to flip up and skip back as more dividing slots were sliding down rapidly, cutting and separating the rooms like a Tomb Raider death trap. He moved all the way back to the sofa near the bunker door, hoping another slot didn't fly down from nowhere. It didn't. Instead, slots were dropping widely and other slots were dropping at the ends, forming the shape of large boxes, which of course was happening to both ends of Charlie's new enclosure. Each box big enough to hold two Rhino Generals. Charlie tapped his transparent holdings. He could see markings on the surface. It was a sheer blend of glass and plastic, with ancient inscriptions that must be used to subdue and permanently hold the beasts. How would a scientist know of such markings or how to use them? But of course, the wilds were the perfect culprits for such secret demonic knowledge. I wonder if my sword could even slice through this. Guess I'll wait a little longer. I want to see where this goes. Boxed off in singular holdings that only held one human prisoner, the plastic glass cells rattled as the entire wall with a giant hole started to drop down disappearing like an upside-down kitchen blind. Charlie sat again, crossing his legs, closing his eyes. The boxes moved further forward, and a slotted click jammed them to a complete halt. Charlie's eyes were still closed. He could hear the shouts and the shocking surprise from the gasping people outside of his cell. He heard the alarm, and he still sat, waiting. Even though he appears somewhat human, he must be a demon as the dragon moved and danced, looking everyone in the eyes as it flew around his chest and stomach, but still leaving its head at the side of his face when finishing its dramatic movements. A demon that has kept his human form, that has possibly melded with a powerful external and gained all its abilities, changing his own genetic makeup. This is the one, the one they have all been waiting for. 
Get Irwin. Now, damn it! Yes, sir. Good heaven. Did he kill all the others? And how in heaven's name did he get that sword? The scientist walked over to the other containers, seeing only body parts. He took his goggles and placed them over his brown eyes in case one of these bastards were masking. A clever little trick one performed once, almost getting free. But nothing. All he saw was sliced up humans with melted skin. Well, that's my dinner in the toilet, he thought. Each container was lit up by the next cell that surrounded it, simulating a four-sided beehive that rotated mechanically. You, over there. Yes, you, stupid. Go to the control room and separate the enclosure. Make sure it goes back to the surface. And make sure you clean it properly this time. Take Melissa and tell her to bless the place thoroughly, unless she wants a haunting latched onto her like her predecessor. The last cleaner killed herself. Tell her that, she will do a better job then. The young scientist at the end of the walkway stood idly. You can go now, dumbass. And off he trotted, with Charlie sensing his aura moving to a specific part of the building. He heard another set of steps passing the young scientist on the stairwell. Three people coming his way. He curved a grin. The scientist that gave the orders turned back at Charlie. This thing is smiling. What kind of demon is this? Oh crap, what if he's Lucifer or something? Ah, Dr. Mumbai, how are we on this glorious day? Asked a voice of noble deepness like he was born in the wrong era. Oh, Dr. Seagrave, I am very well, thank you. I, I was just... Yes, yes, Dr. Mumbai, very good. Now let me look at him. Oh my, what a godly specimen of profound beauty you are, my demonic friend. Come now, don't be shy. Let me see those eyes of hateful elegance. Charlie opened his eyes, purposely showing the fiendish difference in both pupils. The man exhaled a breath as though experiencing a sexual awakening. Oh my, said the tall man of average build, placing his pallid hand on his chest dramatically. No jewel or star, no poet alive or departed, could possibly better nor describe your appeal. My dear, dear boy, you are the one I've been searching for, the one that will cure my love, which enhances your beauty even more, should I dare say. Do you meld with a demon? Are you a demon who has the unique ability to mask in human form? Although this usually takes six days to achieve, a divine rule, I suppose. The man shook his head but kept his insufferable grin. But your eye and body definitely hold power. So many questions. Alas, many of you do not talk, only threaten and speak with a savagery I shall not tolerate. The man glared up at the other containers, frowning at the imprisoned externals that were all looking down at him with stifling hatred. Who is this love you think I can cure? Asked Charlie with narrowed eyes. The two other scientists behind Irwin had to almost catch him from fainting. Dr. Mumbai was utterly flabbergasted by the question, but there was something else. It imitates accents. Amazing. How can you talk? Dr. Mumbai stopped his inquiry midway as he could feel Irwin's eyes on him. Eyes of a scientist. Eyes of a killer. Eyes that said, If you interrupt my moment again, I will throw you over this railing and you will end up exactly like those atrocious dinners you enjoy so much. Spread out, leaking, leaving a spicy smell of disgust on the concrete below, you commoner. Dr. Mumbai knew what the man was thinking. Irwin has made many theatrical and racial threats over the ten years of his employment. Dr. Asif Mumbai positively despises the man. 
One day, Erwin, you will get what's coming to you, he thought, as he broke a fake apologetic smile. My apologies. My Indian friend here likes to get ahead of himself sometimes. <clears throat> Erwin cleared his throat, giving a cough that was purely for performance. If he were not a scientist, he would surely be a member of the Actors Guild. Where was I? Ah, yes. You asked an intelligent question. One that was asked politely. I say that is far more interesting than your exquisite form, my dear. Erwin regarded the others. When I am ready, send his holdings to Lab 1. Now leave us. Erwin's assistants and Dr. Mumbai did as commanded. The Indian doctor had one final glimpse of the specimen, and the specimen returned his stare, which made his head jitter in surprise. This is no external. This thing is worse. He glanced up at Erwin as he walked by, but the mad scientist had no interest in interacting with his colleagues any longer. And so, the other scientists did as they were told, leaving Erwin with his new plaything. You have been listening to Midnight City by J.R. Manga. Narrated by DB82. Copyright 2023 by J.R. Manga and VHS Reader. All characters and events in this publication, other than those in the public domain, are fictitious and any resemblance to real persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. All rights reserved. No part of this publication may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted, in any form or by any means, without the prior permission and writing of the publisher. The publisher is not responsible for websites or social media pages that are not owned by the publisher.